Okay, welcome back to another episode of Duke Basketball Junkies. Uh, my name is Michael Eckstead. I'm your host. Uh, today's episode is sort of an evergreen uh, interview uh, with Devin Gordon, a good friend of mine from uh, undergrad at Duke, uh, also graduated in 98. Uh, he, a uh, fellow member of Pegram Dormitory, he's been on the podcast a few times. He um, He's an at-large writer, a feature writer, uh, who uh, has worked at Newsweek and GQ. Um, we get into his in-depth look at the uh, program this year, um, which was highlighted by uh, one-on-one interviews with all of the freshmen, uh, Trey Jones, Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson, and R.J. Barrett, uh, not Joey Baker. He was red-shirted at the time. Uh, we get into that a little, too. Uh, he also was able to sit down with Coach K and deal with the sports information director and other people around the program. He got to go down to campus. Uh, he was in the locker room at the Texas Tech game at uh, Madison Square Garden. And he got a personal feel for each of the players involved as much as he could, uh, you know, sitting down with each for a half an hour. Peter and I don't get the opportunity, um, you know, we're busy, we have lives, real jobs here in Las Vegas, and we really do this as a hobby, so um, Devin is much more professional than us, certainly more well-spoken, uh, he's a really intelligent guy, he's a good friend, and a good friend of the podcast, so hopefully you guys have enjoyed him being on the pod before, uh, mostly he's been talking about NBA with us, here he got the chance to really get some hands-on experience with the players and um I was happy to have the opportunity to uh, ask him all about it. And um, he really gave a lot of good color uh, on the team, a lot of context and sort of, uh, you know, the players, the freshmen, what Coach K was thinking about them. The interview, His interviews took place in January. My interview with him took place uh, only a week or two ago, uh, right before the ACC tournament, I believe. Uh, and um, but I think it's really worthwhile. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Please bear with us for the first ten minutes. Devin's mic, uh, the phone call, his end was a little garbled here and there. It usually didn't last more than you know five to seven seconds. You can mostly make out what he says. Anyways, uh, the rest of the interview after ten minutes is pretty clear. Uh, we start off by you know I ask him about how the article, you know how he is able to sort of get the the dream assignment of uh, you know going to Duke and covering the basketball program he's loved so much for so many years. He never wrote sports at Duke. He was the editor of the, the student newspaper, The Chronicle, but you know he wasn't in charge of the sports department. So this is a, a, a little new to him, although he's you know certainly written about sports at a national and international level. He's covered the Olympics. He's written features about Boban recently, about uh, Mark Cuban, you know all sorts of great stuff over the years. But uh, this is the first time he was able to really dig in on Duke. Uh, so it was a good opportunity for us to talk, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. So with two days before Duke's matchup with the Virginia Tech in the NCAA Sweet 16, uh, this will give you something to chew on, some, 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 some good talk to listen to about the program in general. And we really do get into it. Uh, one of the more interesting parts is Devin compares and contrasts sort of the mood of the program as opposed to last year. And... Um, Make some, make some really insightful points and observations. Um, so without further ado, here's the interview. Thanks again for listening. Uh, the interview will just play out, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully, hopefully, after, uh, after a couple of wins this weekend and uh, a return trip to the Final Four, but we have our fingers crossed. All right. Ben Gordon, uh, feature 
feature writer at large, uh, affiliated with GQ for many years, former editor of The Chronicle, and uh, author of the latest, uh, his latest piece, which is on Duke, Duke basketball. Devin, welcome. How you doing? Thanks. I mean, like, good. Good. <laughs> Tell us about the, the piece and what went into it. Um, I just got finished reading it, and it looks like you, it was, uh, yeah. It was, um, it was something I really didn't imagine I would get the opportunity to do, um, just because there aren't a ton of places that you can be or you can write about college basketball that aren't, you know, sort of beat writing daily sport places, particularly college athletes, um, you know, because they don't, it's not easy to do press with college athletes. They have school, they have limitations. It's not easy to get their time. And it's Duke, it's Zion. Um, so um, my old friends at GQ were, um, were really into him and I was really into him and we had been, I had been sort of trading dunk videos with the guy who's in charge of GQ now, the, the new editor-in-chief there, who's a guy um, I've known forever. His name is Will Welch. Um, he just took over a couple months ago. He's been there forever. He's a big basketball fan. And I had been just feeding him Zion clips forever um, and made him a, basically made him a Zion fan like America, kind of against his will because he was wearing a Duke uniform. And... Um, I went to the Texas Tech game, had already bought my ticket as a fan. Um, but by the time I went to the game, um, I was... You live in New York. And I live in New York. Sorry, yeah. Madison Square Garden. Sorry, thank you for filling in the reporting details. Yeah, I was at, um, I was at the Garden uh, for what was actually kind of, a, kind of a crappy game. I mean, it was a very tight, dramatic game, um, but it was one of those clunky defensive college basketball games that really isn't fun to watch, and Zion fouled out. Um, with like five minutes left, four of his five fouls were offensive charges. Um, and there was a, just a, I was able to go into the, the locker room after the game because um, I was able to get credentialed for Justin and Han. And that was sort of the opening scene for the piece. And um, then I went down to campus about three weeks later. This was just after the first Wake game um, and just before – uh, the Florida State game when Cam won it with a three-pointer at the buzzer. Um, I was basically there for kind of what I would describe as the lowest moments of Cam's life because um, that was just that was really the lowest period he was in um, where he had basically played his way out of the starting lineup. Um, and I interviewed all four players for about 30 minutes each. They sort of uh, um, Mike DeGeorge, who runs um, media and operations for the team, sort of cycled the guys through the upper deck of Cameron. And I took her and sort of speaking with each of them for about 30 minutes. And I spent about 30 or 40 minutes in Coach K's office talking to him. Um, so it was a great environment to do a piece like that. Um, and what, what's the name of the piece? If people want to look uh, it up. I believe the piece in the magazine is called um, How the New Devils uh, Came Together. Um, um, And online, it's difficult. Uh, There's different names for it, depending on whether you're talking online or print. But if you were to Google Duke and GQ, you won't find much. So, you know, that'll be Yeah, there was also that Zion Williamson Q&A that was was from you as well, right? Yeah. Uh, That was published a few weeks ago. Yeah, and that was actually just the... There's sort of a, a, a raw version of my interview with Zion at Cameron, 
in the seats of Cameron. Um, you know, the, the main piece, the through written prose piece that's in the magazine, I only think I have a couple of quotes from Zion in there and the whole thing. It's not that long a story. And I knew leading up to the Carolina game um, that there was this massive national interest in him. Um, so GQ wanted to basically just post that Q&A on its own, make its own story out of it. Um, yeah, have some extra content featuring yeah, the guy yeah. who's like the biggest curating in college sports. Yeah, sure. you know, why, why I, you you know at the time, I, I was a little concerned just because, you know, when you have 20 minutes with someone for a, for a print magazine piece that's actually about not just an entire class of four kids, but about, you know, certainly about college basketball at large, how the class came together, I have to spend a lot of those 20 minutes talking to Zion about the stuff that I need to write about in the piece. Um, and I can't necessarily get too caught up in day-to-day game-oriented questions because I know that the piece that I run that runs in the magazine two months later, that's going to be ancient history. So in some ways I, I can't, I can't spend question time on that. And so when we went to put the interview online, I was really worried that I hadn't asked him questions that if that someone sitting down to just do a pure Zion Williamson profile Q and a, would naturally have asked him if they had that chunk of time. And I was just worried that those holes would just be all over the place. And one of the things I realized when the Q&A came out was that there really hadn't been a long conversation with Zion out there, right? I mean, like, we would have seen it, and I couldn't think of one. And so there was this hunger to hear from him at length. Um, yeah, in so a way it, got, that, it got some play, got shared. It was all over the place. Um, there was a, the thing that, that, that I was pretty sure that would get picked up, although not quite as much as I as it did. I, I didn't imagine it would be picked up quite as much as it did. It was on like CNN and ESPN and all over the place and on the crawls. Is Zion saying that he um, put on 100 pounds um, over over the course of two years, um, which amazed yeah, you me. Yeah, you asked about sort of his physicality in high school when he realized he was – Basically a freak, right? <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Larger than other humans, and he basically said he was a skinny, skinny kid, like going into after his freshman year. Someone, yeah, yeah. I love like how he said he was, he, was, he was. Yeah, he was a skinny kid. He described himself as small, like really small. I think was the phrase he used. And the and the size of human that he described as a freshman in high school was larger than I not am small, right now. Actually, <laughs> um, not small at all. Um, but yes, yeah, you know, to me. Just as a, I'm, I'm not a particularly good compared to a lot of the people who I used to edit and have been doing it, you know, really, really well. I have a hard time asking mean questions or tough questions. But one thing that I do find works is, you know, when you're asking, when you're trying to put yourself in their shoes and ask a very simple question like, what was it like when this happened? And with Zion, I just, the idea of growing that much that quickly is unfathomable to me. Um, it's, he's, he's getting bigger too quickly to not notice. And I just wanted to know what that must have felt like. I mean, it's just, I, when I close my eyes and picture it, it's, it's like I picture, you know, like Peter Parker getting bit by the spider, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. And I think that really resonated with people. Um, even though well, it's interesting because you're you're interviewing him at a young enough age where it just happened, 
It, his growth spurt yeah. just happened. Five years ago, he was 14 years old or 13 years old. So you're asking him to be a sort of a witness to his own sort of uh, to his growth in a way that when he's 30, he wouldn't necessarily be able to relate to as well. Um, so that's, that yeah, was that's really the, interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it's something, and there's there's something that that about that idea that sort of pervades every everyone everything he is and all that he is, which is this is all brand new for him too, and he's just having the best time and you know not to not to jump way ahead or swerve way off topic but all this conversation about you know after he hurt himself you know that he should shut it down that you know that Zion was smart he should shut it down or you know maybe he will shut it down as anyone talked to him and having already talked to him and talked to Kay I think there's absolutely no chance none I mean, I don't, you know, and I had no reporting to back that up. You know, it's not like I had talked to after the injury. I just said, there's, there's no chance. There is no chance he's going to sit out the rest of the season. It's just not his personality remotely. He's having way too much fun. He loves this way too much. He loves his teammates way too much. He's having a blast. It would break his heart to miss the rest of this. If he, if he could play, if he could play, it would kill him to miss it. Kind of funny how much of a conversation it's become because it's so cynical and so practical, and he's just a kid. He likes playing basketball with his friends. <laughs> just a kid playing basketball with his friends. Hey, um, is it cool if I give you a quick call back? I feel like um, your audio is uh, sort of uh, oh, oh, flickering often enough that, that that if we don't at least try to try right, to write it, uh, it would me... be a little negligent. Let me let me let me move. Let me move. Let me see if I can move. Uh, I think it's much better. Yeah. Okay. Um so you were just saying that uh, you know, Diane's just a kid, uh mm-hmm. having fun, filled with exuberance, right? Natural exuberance. It's not sort of affected. Isn't it strange that there's a sense, um when reading your article and sort of talking just observing him, he just seems to be uh I guess I guess having fun is the correct description, but sort of untouched unfazed like pure something pure about the way he seems to be experiencing things where he's not affected by the kind of cynicism and sort of holding back or or sort of uh this protecting of, of his health even or his image like it seems to be pretty carefree but you also in your article made the point that he's more media savvy than anybody is it calculated is he do you get the sense that that he's just sort of thought about it and decided like this is the better approach? His generation's approach is just to let it all hang, uh, you know, fly his own banner and just sort of be okay with it. Or is there, you know, is there think, is there actual thought and like practice put into this stuff, like the way he's acting? You know, I don't think there's practice put into it. I think it's it's a. Conscious does he have a publicist? Does he have no, an advisor? No, no, no. You can't, No, 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 not that I know. I mean, I certainly didn't deal with one. I dealt only with Duke. But sure. I think it. I think I would. I think it's a little bit of both, which is to say, I think he's making. He has made a conscious decision to just be himself. You know what I mean? He has, and whether I don't know how conscious that is. Um, he, and I think he's being encouraged not to not limit himself and to just be himself. I mean, Coach K says that, and and it is a cliche. But I think there are 
there are big stars um, who, under similar circumstances, you might not encourage to be themselves. <laughs> um, um, and I don't think that's the case with Zion. I think they, I think the, 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 the people around Duke and him most of all realizes that he things go best when he's just himself um, and bopping around and having fun. It's going to, it's not going to last um, in the sense that there will, there will come a moment, um, hopefully not very soon, not while he's at Duke, probably while he's in the NBA when um, things don't go well um, in all kinds of ways, not just on the court, but somebody will catch him at the wrong moment or he'll do or say something dumb or the people who just can't resist trying to find something to take somebody down with will find something. Um, I'm amazed that the FBI stuff with Zion hasn't come, you know, the pay stuff hasn't come roaring back in some kind of way um, just because. Um, Certainly somebody must have offered him something inappropriate. Uh, it would be naive not to think that was the case, but you know, the yeah. other thing is a very specific set of phone taps, right? Yeah. Very yeah. specific set of characters. So some people are caught up in it. Some people are not. I, I just think it's sort of like the, your description of Zion in, in the article and sort of how you're describing it, it kind of stands in stark contrast to the unhappiness that's being sort of talked about amongst NBA stars, right? Mm-hmm. It's like um, existential crisis of Kevin Durant and Kyrie, and and you know Jimmy Butler and all these guys, right? The expectations on them, the way they're managing that, the, um, the sort of ups and downs of just an NBA season in this era, and uh, just how visible everybody is on on Twitter. I mean, even the guys that seem to have a great time, like Joel Embiid, um, still there's controversial articles and stuff, and it does either take like a thick skin or like a completely different attitude. Probably not to let it affect your, your mental health on some level. Yeah. Um, and Zion feels pure in a way that those things do not. Um, and his level of fame is comparable to those guys already, it seems. Um, and so it feels, it feels special. Uh, did you, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you know, you said you talked to coach K about him and you mentioned that in the article, was there anything not, not in the piece that, that you would relate, uh, you know, to our audience here about sort of uh, the impression you got of how people feel about him uh, that's sort of not obvious? You know, is he just a regular kid and everybody's peeping, glowing praise on him? Because how could he be a regular kid with all this attention and fame? Is that is that what's so he's special? Not, he's not a regular kid. You know what I mean? It's um, That is – that's not what I would say people are saying about him. I think that people are saying he's a, he's a supernatural human being in all kinds of ways, his talent. Not just in basketball. Not just in basketball, but just as a, as a charismatic presence around campus, he is, you hear it from everyone. It's just like you don't come away from being around the kid not smiling. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's a very, very unique thing. And as you were going through that list of players and this notion of, these sort of unhappy, constantly under attack superstars. I was trying to think as we go through those guys, haven't all of them always been that way? Like at least of the guys that you name. I mean, Kevin Durant has always been a mercurial guy 
And to the extent that we may have thought that he was, you know, nicer and sweeter at the beginning of his career, it's really just that we didn't, we didn't know him at all. Um, and I'm not saying that as a critique. I, I think he's one of the more fascinating stars alive, but he's mercurial and you catch him in the wrong mood. Like recently he's a snapdragon and, you know, but he keeps talking and he's fascinating for someone who hates the media. No one talks to the media more. With Kyrie, he's so diabolical. I can't really tell if he actually feels that way or if he's diabolical. He's, I'm, he's just, I'm just trying to, I just, I can't tell if he's trying to deflect or if he really feels that under attack. Um, um, LeBron has always been moody. I mean, Jimmy Butler is a lunatic. Um, but you I know, love Jimmy Butler, by the way. I, I love Jimmy Butler. I love him. I say that. I say that with I say yeah. like, I mean, lunatic as a term of endearment. But like, but even even not, even his characterizations, like even his characterizations, they sort of indicate how how we how basketball fandom treats basketball stars. We like to try to put labels on them. You know, when it comes to their competitiveness, when it comes to their mm-hmm. attitude, like you, you can't help but but somehow tarnish. Right, it can't help but minimize yeah. on some level, and so the next great hope, Zion, is un, untarnished at the moment, but also uh, apparently very special. Besides that, right? Yeah, and I just don't know how those, you know, those forces are going to meet each other. I mean, it's, you know, he's going to have rough patches, but I don't think it's going to, you know, inherently change who he is. The, you the, want the Knicks to get him being a New Yorker? Are you? Oh, of course. Of course. You don't think that would be horrible for him? Maybe the worst place? I mean, uh, no, not remotely. Well, first of all, let's look, at the al- let's look at the alternatives before we say that New York is such a horrible place. Um, and, you know, I really like New York's coach. I love the Knicks coach right now. Um, the weird thing about James Dolan is that or, well, there are two weird things about James Dolan. Please don't make this like to your audience, I am not defending James Dolan, but here are two important things about James Dolan that are worth knowing. All of his players love him. Just on a personal level, they, they love him. That does not mean that he's not a lunatic or they make terrible decisions, but they like him. And number two, say what you want about James Dolan. He has never been afraid to spend money. We can quibble with all the things he spends it on. I have. We always do. But he spends it. And so, and he's got two max swaps now. Um, so, yeah, I think this would be an amazing place for Zion to come. He would fit perfectly here. He has a good coach. I think it'd be great. And then consider the alternatives. Do you, would you like, I don't want to wish Phoenix on Zion. Do you want to see him play in front of half-empty arenas in Atlanta? I'm not wanna... sure. I mean, I, I read the, the I read the, the the piece on Phoenix and the, the atrocity that is their their organization lately. But Phoenix, I mean, if he shows up at Phoenix and he's playing with DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges and Josh Jackson, I, it just seems like an incredible young core. And sure, how could they not? How could they? How could they really screw that up so badly? But maybe they. Oh won't. come on! They can um, any. They can screw up anything. I mean, they they screw up yeah, things all I, the time. I, and then that's and that's you know in terms of what situation yeah. we're you know it's. I'd much rather see him in Phoenix than Cleveland. Uh, New York would certainly be interesting, and he would blow it would blow up even more the whole situation. And maybe that's okay. Maybe maybe he's uh, 
he's just Teflon and all these kinds of pressures. Uh, I want to move on to Zion for a second, just because we, yeah. we could spend two hours talking about him. Um, can you, I guess uh, you get to spend equal time with the other freshmen and also Coach Gay. I guess right. I'm, I'm interested to hear, we go one by one, kind of your general impressions. We, uh, you don't have to rehash what was in the piece, but sure. sort of your general sure. impressions about each then, because this is six weeks ago, right? Um, yeah. Then and sort of what you've been able to observe now and how you think their journeys progressed. But I guess we'll start with Cam because you mentioned Cam Radish and the fact that he had been having a really tough time when you spoke yeah. to him. Um, I also talked to him like, first. Yeah, well, yeah. What was it like talking to him then? Um, what were your impressions of him? Well, the context is really important, right? Because this was the day. It was either the day after or two days after. Two days after the Wake Forest game, the first game on the road at Wake, and this was his worst game. I mean, he was terrible, um, and barely got on the floor. Fouls, turnovers, missed shots. He was just, he was he was useless, and uh, he was. He, I don't even think he played the second half. Um, and the first person I talked to when I got there was actually Coach K. He was my first interview, and when I was in his uh, when I was in his office, I asked about Cam basically saying, look, there's always somebody in a group like this on a fresh in a craft in a class like this who gets the short end of the stick. Somebody this doesn't pan out the way they expected. And you said that or Coach K said that? I said that to him. Okay. And and it's clear so far that that person is Cam right now. And one of the things I like about Kay from doing this piece is that he's not gonna look you in the eye and pretend that Cam is doing great and coming along fine. He's not. And he actually said Cam was in this office yesterday and talking about, you know, how we, how we fix this and how we move ahead. Now that's coach K's way of saying, having a conversation about going through this, but you know, if you're Cam and you're 18 years old and you've been summoned to coach K's office to talk about the crap game you just had, this doesn't feel like there is no way this conversation feels like, you know, we're having like a powwow, um, you know, a, a happy medium to talk through practice strategies. This is the most powerful, most famous coach in basketball calling you into his office to tell you you suck, right? That's what happens. That's what happened. And Coach K can say whatever he wants, but what he told me, he said to Cam in that meeting was, Right now, Jack White is playing better than you. That was a direct quote. I wasn't able to use that in the piece. He's like, right now, Jack's playing better than you. And the point that he wanted to make by saying that, though, was that Jack White was rooting as hard for him and pulling as hard for him as anyone on the team, even though Cam improving meant that Jack White as a senior wasn't going to play as much, which, you know, of course, is what started to happen. Jack started to miss shots. Cam sometimes improved, sometimes didn't. But so I interviewed Cam later that day, knowing that this was the conversation that he had had with Kay the day before. And he was just not a happy kid. I mean, there's just no way around it. I mean, I don't like to read too much into a 20 minute experience with someone I've never met before, but I know when someone's not happy. I know when somebody's feeling low and their confidence isn't good. And his confidence was just crap. I asked about practice and what was going on. He was like, I'm just doing a lot of shooting. And I was like, how is the shot coming along? 
And he shrugged and said, decent, I guess. This is a shooter who shrugs and says, my jump shot is decent, I guess. That's not a confident kid. He was really struggling. And I remember, you know, thinking, I'm not sure this kid is going to make it. You know what I mean? I'm, it's certainly going to be a crucial moment in his evolution. And, you know, what was it a night later, two days later, he calmly, you know, like it was nothing, hits that game-winning shot as the time expires against that. But I thought it was amazing that K drew up that play for him. I mean, I know that you can watch from the outside thinking, okay, Cam's struggling. It's cool that Kay drew, drew up that play for him. But knowing what I knew about what Cam had been through that week, knowing yeah. what Kay had told me about Cam's special. week, it was like the fact that he drew up that play for Cam, I was like, this guy is a great coach. And and also a gutsy coach because, you know, Cam misses that shot. God knows what's heck going to happen from there. But, you know, Kay yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't guy. have a lot of other uh, three-point options on the floor. <laughs> no, he didn't. Catch and shoot but, options, but uh, uh, it was it was a hell of a play. And 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 yeah. I, I, you know, that being said, did that play in any way persuade me that Cam had, had turned the corner? Absolutely not. I mean, and and if anything, his play since then has made me feel the same way I felt that week. I just I don't know if his mental game is there um, to be as consistent as he is going to need to be with his effort and his confidence and his focus as he's going to need to be at the NBA level. Because um, he's a very skilled player, but he's, you know, he's not that special NBA-wise. And well, I think his, his length and his ability to catch and shoot can be special. Um, can be, can be. But if he seems like has has you know range. You know he doesn't have to be right on the line. But uh, if you've been listening, I don't know if you've been listening uh, regularly to the last few episodes. We've been talking about sort of the Jekyll and Hyde that is yeah. the catch and shoot yeah. version of Cam Reddish versus the put the ball on the deck and move towards the basket version. And one is one of the best. One's a really good player on offense, yeah. and one is one of the worst players I've. I've ever seen just based on yes. what's happening results wise. Uh, yes. And yes. he's a freshman. And he, and normally we'd have time a, to forgive him, but he's leaving. You know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's clearly, what I mean. Yes. He, he doesn't I mean. I don't know that it's an identity crisis. Like I think he thinks he's supposed to be the guy that can take the ball to the hoop through traffic and make good decisions, but it doesn't seem to be happening. And it, it just feels like it's happening so consistently. Like, it can't be – it must be a, a skill limitation, you know. Um, I think – I mean, you know, to me what I mean by saying that his he's nothing special in terms of his talent at the NBA level, I think um, he – if he's not a plus effort, he, his, his skills are duplicable in the NBA. And if he doesn't know how to play the game very well, and if his effort comes and goes and his focus comes and goes, he's not good enough to overcome that and become a star or even be a starter in the NBA. He's, especially since, like you said, that catch-and-shoot version of Cam, which is probably his future in the NBA, is all instinctive. It's where his talent is coming, 
and it's where his thinking about the game and his decision making about the game and his focus on the game is the least confident. Yeah. Yeah, he can just do it. But when you watch him try to do his playmaker cam, he is someone who could clearly do that very successfully at the high school level because his talent could overcome all. And when you watch him, I just, I just, I just don't know that he's a very good basketball player. I don't think he knows how to play basketball very well. He makes terrible decisions, not bad decisions, terrible decisions. And he has no idea how to position himself on defense. And he makes, he turns the ball over constantly. It's, you know, and it's also he's also he not, the, shows the ball off his foot quite often. And, and these are not this, this is this is not this is not he's a freshman he'll learn. Yeah. I just I don't think he has a good feel for the game. And because we got a couple freshmen, three of them, who of course have a feel for the game that's unusually high, but they're freshmen, and they know how to play basketball really well, and. I think the degree to which Cam doesn't know how to play basketball was really exacerbated by playing with these guys because they're high, they're all very very high IQ players, and I continue yeah. to be surprised that he is so high on these draft boards because it sort of shows you the limitation of the way the way draft prospects are evaluated at least amongst the touts, right? And maybe the NBA guys will get into it before they pick a guy like him. They'll really go granular on the, on the game film, and they'll be like, "Wait a second, this guy has too many. He's, you know, he's not he's not good at basketball." Maybe they'll decide that. But I think I think there's a good chance. I think he's a big favorite to be a top ten pick, and I, my guess is he'll he'll be polished for NBA interviews in a gym. You know, in these these training sessions, he'll he'll knock down shots. He'll look good with a chair guarding him. Uh, and and then when it comes time, you know he's got time and 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 room to grow, you know, into whatever his NBA role will eventually be. But I think he's 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 the biggest question mark for sure. Uh, so you were nice to me. him, right? You weren't mean to him, right? Were you supportive? Did you did you pat it him on the tricky. back? It was tricky. It was it was tricky because I I was telling friends I may have even said this to you before I went down there that he was the person I was most interested to talk to, just because as a journalist. I'm always curious about the person who seems to be at the position of the most attention. Um, and also just because he's a kid, he's 18. And I really do believe that we forget that in very, very tangible human ways, which is to say with someone like Cam, and I felt it, I, I just think when you're 18 and you're going through that, you're a little scared, even if you shouldn't be. There's no logical reason for Cam to be scared he played as bad as he could possibly play in the first half of that season. And it still didn't knock him out of the top 10 in the lottery. He's yeah. fine. He's going to be rich. Still, there's that part of you. There's got to be that part of you in a moment like this where you're watching all these guys you got recruited with just exploding. And you've got to think, oh, my God, am I blowing this? Am I blowing this? I just don't think you can be 18 and not have a thought like that. And blowing it so quickly, so quickly, it's, I just really felt one. Yeah. And, and it, those are hard things to ask about. And it's even harder when, as a journalist, you know, for, I, didn't, I didn't get to write about him because I didn't have enough space. There was a section I wrote about him that ended up being 
being cut, but I knew it was going to be cut because there's just not enough space. And he's not a famous enough player to sort of post the Q&A of just him. So fortunately, I didn't have to write about it. But it's especially difficult as a journalist when you feel for a kid like that, when you have to tell the truth about a situation and say, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's going to. He may pull himself out of his funk, but do I have long-term faith in his makeup that he is going to be able to do this consistently enough to be a star in the NBA when, you know, the next guy I talk to after he leaves is R.J. Barrett? And I look at that kid, and I sit and talk to him for 30 minutes, and I'm like, Jesus, this guy is going to be a boss in the NBA. I mean, there's just no chance RJ isn't going to be a stud. Well, we can tell from his play on the court. Was there something yeah. personal contact with him? Oh, my God. Just because confidence? I, think you can, I think you can see it's not even just confidence. First of all, he's a killer. He never lets up. He is out for blood every time. And, you know, we can, you know, we can quibble over the shot selection. But, like, he's trying to slit your throat every second. There's never a play taking off with, with RJ Barrett. But it's also just, yeah, when you talk to him, there's just that confidence. He knows he's really, really, really good. And unlike Cam, because I think it's an interesting thing that you brought up with the catch and shoot versus the, you know, play make off the dribble, RJ knows exactly who he is off of, as a player. You know, the biggest part of his game that he needs to work on is his jump shot. He's an 18-year-old whose jump shot needs to get better. It'll get better. He'll work on it. There's no yep. way he's not going to work on it. Most players like RJ who have that kind of drive at that kind of age, they usually add about, he's never going to be Clay Thompson, but he'll probably add about three or four or five percentage points to his jumper. And when RJ Barrett becomes a 37% three-point shooter, holy God, is he going to be good. I mean, he's, he's Dwayne Wade. I, it's, it's, his body control is incredible. His poise is incredible. He never loses his cool. Never. And you can see that when you're talking to him in person. There's just a calm, a confidence, an ease, a tranquility about him. Just a boss. He's just a boss. And you can tell it's going to happen. And when I see that right after seeing Cam, you know, and I don't think that physically there's that much daylight in their gifts, do you? I mean, I think that they're probably, athletically speaking, about the same, right? I mean, no, I don't think they are. You know, it's funny, like measurables, perhaps, but I, I believe in non-measurable athleticism in basketball. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You That's know, Elton Brand Archie. had it. Shane Battier had a certain kind of kind of it. Archie Barrett clearly has it. These little really difference it. makers that let you feel contact, get by contact, play through that stuff. RJ is yeah, yeah, body controlled. No, you're right. Body gifted at this, and Zion is even. Even more gifted. Amazing, right. amazing, amazing that you can be that gifted, that big, and have that and, kind and of Trey, body control. Trey is, yeah, Trey is the same way. And Trey on defense not, is the same way. Same He's way. able to get into space, into people's space in a way where he doesn't foul. It's incredible Trey Jones never picks up fouls, you know? Yeah, he's, like rarely he's, picks he's up a, a lot of fouls. He's so tenacious. He's a so, special kind of player. I worry a little bit, Trey. I'm worried Trey is... And realizing over the course of the season that the big difference between Trey and Pius, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I need to look at the numbers and Pius was better than I thought or worse than I thought, but Pius was a better, more finished offensive player as a freshman. Trey way, is probably way, 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 more way, way right. offensively as a, as and a playmaker, I think Trey as a distributor, probably, as a shooter. Yeah. 
But the opposite on defense, you know. The opposite on so defense. He's different. He's a different and guy. So he's not. They're related, but he's not the same player. But they player. are very. They are. Um, but you know, when you and and then of course when you talk to Trey, I mean, you want to talk about immediately impressive confidence and leadership skills and just you know like come on that guy just like he's he's like he's a 30 year old you know what i mean and it's the classic case of someone who's built that way to begin with but also you know has an older brother who's an nba player you know what i mean it is just there's just very 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 um psychologically special group of kids whose chemistry happens to line up really well. And the one thing that I, that, that I like about Cam um, and that speaks well for him and maybe speaks to some optimism is the other guys really seem to like him. Um, they all seem to really like each other. Cam's a very quiet, very sweet guy, but he's definitely like the, the thin skinned one of the group. Um, and so um, well, they all seem seem likable on a on a human level. Like absolutely, yeah. nobody's done anything I, I would take any issue with, sort of like sportsmanship wise. I love their competitiveness. You can be competitive and a good sportsman at the same time. That I love, right? Yeah, I mean RJ. I have to say was kind of my favorite because um, he's the kind of guy I gravitate to because it's the hardest for him to be as likable as he is because. Everyone, I feel like everyone is trying, everyone is not at Duke, and even people who are at Duke, I think are trying so hard to make him the bad guy um, because he takes too many shots, etc. cetera, um, because he's not Zion. Um, and Is he feeling that? Did you get a sense? Because you were talking yeah, to him, he had already sort of dropped yeah. from number one to number two. Did you get nope. any sense he was resentful? Nope. Um, you said they're they're best friends, but it's sort of hard to believe there'd be nothing there. But I asked him that. I asked him that point blank. I, I and and you know, look, I, of course, you know, I know what he's going to say. The fact that I asked him point blank doesn't mean he's going to tell me the truth. But I am able to watch his reaction, and I am able to watch his body language when he talks about Zion, and um, I was persuaded by all of it. First of all, when I asked him about Zion, his just his facial expression, like he just smiles. Like he just he just thinks he's such a fun guy. You can tell. He just really likes him. And it, it's clear that Zion just makes him laugh all the time because that was just a vibe. He was just, it, it just you know, he's one of those people that when you bring up somebody you you have a friend and you bring up their name and um and you just start smiling when you think about him, you know. Um, yeah. that's what it was like, but also, you know, the thing that he said when I asked, um, about how easy it could have been for him to be sort of jealous or for them to be some kind of tension is he's like, look, I'm really confident. I know we all know our roles. I know how good I am. I'm no, I'm, you know, it, it's, he didn't seem threatened at all. Um, I think, and I think, Part of that is his confidence as a player. Part of that is his personality and affection for Zion. And then part of that is Zion, I think, is really good about that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to begin the story with that scene. Even though it was a game that was quite a long time ago, the thing that I loved the most about that scene was Zion clearly shouting over to RJ because he was made uncomfortable by the fact that there were 20 people around him and no one around RJ. It was just 
that was why he did it. And that moment was, you know, you can overinflate something, but that seems like the tension of the season in miniature, right? Is if this is going to go wrong, it's because those two guys, what happens between those two guys is what happened between Tatum and Carter last year. And by the way, that I heard a lot. Bagley and Carter. Uh, Bagley and Carter, sorry. Bagley and Carter. Um, I heard that a lot. Um, Heard what a lot? Around campus, around the the Duke folks, that this this is a very different vibe. And that that's a big reason why. That the... And that's, by the way, they were also, they would always say that that's not a knock on the two kids. It was a very, very, very different circumstance. Wendell Carter yeah. expected to come to Duke and be the big man. He got exactly. Car and then uh, Bagley reclassifies, and nobody told him it was going to happen, right? At the very last minute, too. At the very last now, minute, right? Now, was that and, a Bagley decision? Did Coach K reach out and say, hey, we'd like you to reclassify? Do you have any sense I don't there? Know. I don't know. I don't know, but I highly doubt that. I'm sure yeah. that that was partly Bagley. I mean, Bagley's just running the show yeah. there. It's his own basketball career. Uh, well, because RJ Barrett reclassified, were you able to ask him about that at all? Or oh no, to... I, I I didn't. I didn't. Um, it's it's amazing to think that he technically, you know, um, should be a junior. <laughs> it is amazing. Uh, it is amazing. Um, yeah, although these guys are often they yeah, dictate mean, their year. Um, like Bagley wasn't the youngest member of the, his freshman class at Duke. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean uh, they were careful to clearly enjoy playing with each other and like each other. And that, that's a big part of buying in on a team. And they and had the time to do that. They had the time to do that, right? That's the other big thing that they would always talk about as the, as the real difference between if you're, you know, to be fair to those guys, their families, their network on the, on the 2017, 2018 team, the Bagley Carter year, you know, it all happened at the last minute and everybody's expectations were upended. And to make matters worse, that team just so happens to have a bad point guard who can't get either of them the ball in any consistency, right? Yeah. Honestly, well, I think if you had if you had Trey as the point guard on that team, it might not have been such a bad thing. You know, you might have it might have worked a lot better, right? So that's a, like a stew of circumstances that come together. Whereas here, this team got to go to freaking Canada for a month to play together. Well, they only like, got to go to Canada because last year's team had to cancel their foreign trip because of Coach K's injury. Yeah, a hip or a knee. I can't remember. Um, All right, so, the, the take, so, you know, so something was taken away from the previous year, and it's gifted to this year, and okay. maybe it wouldn't have been used as well last year. So that Or, or, or would have made, yeah, or would have made all the difference for that team. Right. Yeah, or the Carter would have become best friends by the end of their, their uh, was it a South Latin American trip? Or I think something? I think so. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And those things make you know everybody there talks about that. Everybody I talked to down there, Kay talked about it. The people I was talking to behind the scenes were, were like, it was not, you know, they're not going to say it on the record, but nobody's beating around the bush about how pleasant things were last year. It wasn't a disaster, but it was chilly. It was weird. And this year, it's just the vibes are just so, 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 so different all around. And that's, um, you know, as a journalist, you want to be a little bit skeptical and, and careful of, of, of some of that stuff. Um, but I just didn't see, I like to think I'm pretty decent at reading the body language and the tone and, you know, 
I didn't see that in Cam's face. And it's not, you know, he just, you could see where, what he was going through all over himself. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I just really, I just think RJ is, first of all, I just think he's so, an incredible player. My God, what a great player he is. And just the, I just, it bums me out that people aren't more, they've let his shot volume and the presence of Zion blind them to what a, well, unreal any, college basketball player he is. Anyone who's been watching Duke, Duke play closely, especially the last few weeks, knows what RJ is accomplishing. It's uh, at the end of the season, as great as Zion was, RJ, RJ might be the one who's the more accomplished sort of freshman at the end of the year. It's a good chance. There are uh, still a lot of people out there. If you you know, they don't. The people you know who I talk to about the pros. And also, just you listen to the podcast. They don't want to get out there with the. They, they don't want to get out there with the hot take. But they still think RJ is going to be the better pro. Yeah, it's not that unlikely. I mean, it's not both, out of the question. They're both it's pretty not great. out of the question. I I, uh, I I always feel like if something like that, you know, um, tell me which team they're on before I, you know, give you my vote. <laughs> um, right. Well, I, um, I know which one's going to sell more uniforms and be in more yeah. commercials. You know, I know that yeah. for sure already. Uh, but I also think I think Zion, as good as RJ's, as much of a killer as RJ is, and his feel for the game is really strong. And I love how gutty Nikola Beast is. I think Zion is is gifted, is gifted in a way that, that almost nobody else is, and he has yeah. the potential. His ceiling is just. Limitless, basically. I heard somebody, and I'm not going to give the right person credit for this. I think it was, maybe it was Jalen Rose, um, who brought up, made an interesting point, which is that, you know, their their rookie seasons will be interesting because Zion is going to have so much scrutiny on him, and he's going to be on a bad team, and his game might take a little bit longer for him to adjust at the NBA level, whereas, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you bet on just if, if I had to give you the entire field right now, wouldn't you bet on RJ to be the rookie of the year next year? I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about it, and it, it will depend on the teams they're on. Uh, you know, just, but just like you yeah. know, if you if you if you look at the history of if the ball's in RJ's hands, yeah, uh, on the bad counting team, stats, he's going to score a lot. Stats. He's going to pick up a lot of assists and, and it's going to rebound somewhat. Uh, and Zion's usage is, is, is unknown, you know, because he's probably not, he's not going to be the, a point forward, you know, his, his rookie year of the NBA. Um, I, I mean, I'm running he, up look, against the he, heart out here, but uh, I wanted to ask you like one, just a couple specific things real quick. Yeah, if, sure. if it's cool. Um, we could argue yeah, RJ sure. for Zion uh, another time, even more, but uh Joey Baker, you didn't get a chance to talk to Joey Baker. He wasn't included in your itinerary. You know, he was he was uh, he was a redshirt still, so he yeah. wasn't. Um, um, I'm still a little puzzled by that. I mean, I don't think you want to go into that. <laughs> I wanted to know. Yeah, like, I don't know if you heard. Sort of my take is that my take, Peter's take on it. Uh, it's obviously puzzling. Do you have any any color to add to it from from being there, being around the team? No, no because at that moment. It, it wasn't in the air at all. Um, Jack was still shooting well. Um, yeah, sure. and, you know, and I, I assumed that that was born of, well, 
either a panic that we really would need another shooter. Um, um, and number, but although I just thought it was curious to make that move, um, well, you know, was I, I guess we had to do it at a certain point, but, um, I wondered if there was another thought here, which is what, what are we saving this year of eligibility for? Right? Like, what are we saving this for? For his, you know, his senior year? His fifth year. Fifth, his year? fifth year at Duke. That yeah, was my, like, my, my, I told Peter, Peter thinks it's just a, a big mistake. Egg on the face of Kay. Kay probably asked him because he just has an insurance policy. And then, you know, and to me, it's like, well, maybe Joey Baker just said he's not staying there for more than four years. Like, he knows that now, or he thinks he knows that. And he's like, if you need me, I'm here. I don't care about the red shirt, you know? Um, he's not playing anyway. You know what I mean? Well, it's not that's like- the, weird, the weird part is he's not playing. So if Coach K felt like he needed them and he was good enough and made the ask, you'd think he'd get more than one, two, three minutes a game for a couple of games. Here's you what think I, he'd I at least get a look, yeah. I, I think it's a situation where at the beginning of the season, there's no risk to him being redshirted. And in the middle of the season, when we're struggling and we're the worst shooting Duke team ever, there's no real risk to to activating him, right? So there's no real downside if he doesn't play. It's, you know, again, like you're saying, you know, yeah. if he's like, oh, well, you know what? Actually, for my fifth year, I kind of like to just go play in Europe and make some money. You know what I mean? Like, is that, knows, right? yeah. is that is that what we're is that what we're choosing between here? Is if let's put it this way, if if Joey Baker's fifth year, if he's here for a fifth year, it's not worth that much. That means that Joey Baker isn't that great. Yeah, he probably isn't. I mean, we just don't know. I guess you know. Well, he, you know, he could be. You know, he could be yeah. one of those players who turns into a nice player their senior year, like Alex O'Connell will probably be very, very useful for us his senior year. But you know, yeah, I think. I, uh, so the other question I wanted to ask you, I, I, I think that was that was an insightful take on Joey Baker. Like, actually, nothing really happened. Like that's the take. Yeah, like, really, there's there's nothing here to talk about. Like. It didn't matter. He's probably nobody plays five years anymore, anyways, unless there's some extra reason to, um, you know, if he's serious about being a pro basketball player, he's probably not staying five years anyway. You know, um, the other question, if you've been listening, is there is there anything um, anything sort of that you picked up while there or since that you think like we've been getting wrong? Like we have not talked to anyone. We have no, you know, we talked to Ricky Price occasionally. But we don't have direct contact with the coaching staff. We don't have direct contact with players. You went down there and like had intimate time with uh, <clears throat> people all around the program. Uh, is there anything we're getting wrong? Uh, you know, because I'm sure we're wrong all the time. But is there anything in particular that stands out that I'm wrong about that Peter's been getting wrong? Uh, takes that that sort of rubbed you the wrong way um, since since you've been down there. You know what I mean? Anything you want to well, speak on? Feel free to tell us. We get everything right. No, um, I'm just, my mind is going to little things, some of which we already covered, like this idea that Zion would ever, ever, ever sit out because he got hurt. It just never, it's just never happening. And the other thing that my mind is going to is just this general idea of who Kay is as a person. Um, yeah, Peter has a I, take on this. I just, I just think he's, he's a, he uses that word over and over again. He means it in like a competitive killer kind of a way he is between the lines and zion talked about this um 
and I think I quoted him on this in the Zion piece, that he just, it doesn't matter what he's playing, what he's competing in, what the stakes are, what the game is. He wants to destroy you every single time. And when he's in that competition mode, he's just a psychopath, and you can see it in his face. And people tend to assume that that's him as a human being. Um, and, you know, the look at his face doesn't help. Like, when you see that face, it's just so snarly and <laughs> demonic. Um, he's just not that guy. He's not. And he's, I think you see it at the post-game press conferences where uh, I'm always surprised that people think he's just this screamy, yelly guy because he's always very tranquil and thoughtful and articulate and easygoing in, in, in his post-game press conferences. Like, he never shouts at people. He never calls people stupid. He doesn't do that. He tracks jokes. He's very funny. And he's incredibly articulate. I mean, I think that was the thing that I'm the most taken by with Kay, which may not be that surprising to people. But coaches are salesmen, so it shouldn't be that surprising. They are people who are trying to educate, and that's often involves with being very eloquent and good at distilling things and being memorable. And he's a really good talker. He just, and I don't, and I, he doesn't bullshit around. I, I'm, you know, he could have said, knowing that I have a tape recorder in front of me, he didn't have to tell me that he called Cam to the woodshed the day before. He knows what that means. He's not stupid. He didn't have to tell me that, but he's not going to protect the kid. And because he had a larger point that he wanted to make. And I think that he, um, okay, I'll, I know you got to go, so I'll leave you with this. I think some of the things, the, the biggest thing that maybe we had wrong is that we're just too cynical, that these guys really are a lot cornier than we think they are, and yeah. that being this successful at something that, that is this, this routinized, muscle memory-oriented, practice-oriented, routine-oriented, structure-oriented does require a kind of tunnel vision of buying into concepts that the rest of us roll our eyes. But they really, really do. The brotherhood thing, I can't tell you how big that is. I mean, we all know how big that is, but it, it, when you are there, it just feels different. And I do wonder if I was a kid in Zion's shoes, particularly now that Zion will be one of the kids who's there every summer doing the recruiting, how are you going to resist this? How are you going to resist this? Like it's, it gets bigger every year too, right? Kyrie and now Tatum and now Zion and now Bagley. Bagley's really good, by the way. Have you been watching Marvin Bagley? He's been playing well. I actually He's went cool. to a game in Sacramento and he uh, played He's super huge down the stretch. He's yeah, a good playing, player. Well. He's like, obviously very talented. We uh, we called him the T-Rex last year. He's he's uh, really he, he's got a lot of alpha in him, you know. He's yeah, polished. He's got real polish to his offensive game. Real polish. Defensive game is getting better. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, these these stars, as these as these guys develop into stars, as Zion is, who we think he might be in the pros. And he's coming back every summer to do the fantasy camp and the the other stuff. And if he stays involved, and the brotherhood really, you know, is, is as strong as it appears it might be, then that idea. But you're getting, you know, you only get one year in college, at least for now. I guess that might change. But guess what? You get to buy into something for life. It's you know going to last. Um, that, and that was good that was the big that was the big thing that I think 
going down there and talking to them. He was able to sort of was able to click a little bit more with this way in which the sort of Duke pitch has shifted. And Kay's experience with the, the Olympic team um, and watching Calipari, I think, has been um, very instructive to shifting from Duke is this special, very, very special collegiate experience to, you know, this is your sanctuary. This is, you know, this is your basketball mecca, you know, you and, and you draw on that lineage and you come back here and it'll always be here for you. And every year, it was already a pretty good lineage, but now it's just like bananas, right? How are you going to turn that down? How does a recruit turn down summer scrimmages where you're running the floor against Tatum and Zion and Kyrie and Marvin Bagley and, you know, R.J. Barrett and how can you turn that down? They're there. It's, it's very, very powerful. And I think when you hear these 18-year-old kids talk about it and you realize it's more powerful to them than it could ever be to us, and that's why, I mean, we, we all need to be a little bit less cynical about this stuff because it doesn't have to work on us. It has to work on them, <laughs> and it works on them amazingly well. All right. Well, thank, thanks for that. Thanks for all your thoughts and uh, sharing your experience with us. It was uh, had to live vicariously through you when we talked <laughs> on the phone a few times, and you know, I was trying to think of questions I should give you to ask Coach. And I was like, wow, actually, I don't know what to ask them. I don't know what to ask these people if I actually had 20 minutes with them. You know, it would be difficult. Uh, it's a little harder than get it all in. I was curious to know: did, did Coach K know who you were? Did he know you were an editor of Chronicle? No, of course not. No. Oh, God, no. He just had another interview to do with somebody from, from a major magazine. Did you let him know? Did you tell him you were there for your freshman year? Was the year he was out? I did, yes. I did tell him. Gosh, that was actually pretty interesting. Um, I know we don't want to go on, but I told him when I was there, and he and he said, wow, I was really sick then. I was really, really sick then. And I remember being struck by the, his choice of the word sick. Um, yeah. just because, you know, the public, the public word is, it was, it was back surgery. Right. Um, and I've had a really bad back, right. I've blown out discs in my back. I would never describe the moment when I was at my worst with my back as being really, really sick. And he used the word sick. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I've always wondered about that moment in his life, and that was an interesting thing. But it was the only moment that we talked about when I was there, um, because I think I may have told him that I was one of the only two graduating classes, basically in his whole time there, that never saw a Final Four. Um, yeah, I was. Yeah, so were Peter and I. Although I stayed for grad school, we got there. <laughs> so you got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was it. That was the only. I didn't mention. I didn't drop the Chronicle. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I don't care about the Chronicle. I mean, who cares about the Chronicle, right? But, no, I mean, I was just curious to know if he had been able to sort of connect with the fact that that was your freshman year, you know, and if he just knew generally, like how, you know, was, I guess there's a different editor of the Chronicle every single year, and he's been there 38 years, so he doesn't have all the names memorized and all that. But I mean, you know, he barely talks about it. As you become – well, as your star rises and you become – you know, sort of the next John Feinstein or whatever you say it will be, Devin, uh, people will start to know. <laughs> you know he, might, he might know who you are next time. Uh, and who knows, maybe you're going to you're gonna eventually uh, 
get more in depth on some of these, these issues with some of these people. Uh, so, you know, we're lucky to have you as a contributor and a regular on the podcast. We appreciate your time, buddy. Always fun to come. All right. Hope your back stays uh, better than average. Yeah, me too. I'm actually headed to the chiropractor right now myself. That's excellent.